Hi, and welcome back to The One Thing Podcast. I'm Chris Dixon. And I'm Sarah Hendricks. Today, we got the pleasure of chatting with Brian Smith, founder and senior managing partner of IA Business Advisors, a management consulting firm that has worked with more than 18,000 CEOs, entrepreneurs, managers, and employees worldwide. Together with his daughter, Mary, they've authored the book, Individual Influence, Find the I in Team which was a great conversation about influence and positive influence and making a difference in your organization and with the people around you. So shall we? Let's do it. Without further ado, Brian Smith. Welcome to the podcast, Brian Smith. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Really exciting. Looks like you've been busy with the business and you've got a new book coming out. Very exciting. Congratulations. Yeah, this book. That's it. For those people who can't see, uh, it's Individual (laughs) Influence, Find the I in Team. So Brian, tell us a little bit of your backstory and how you ended up getting to authoring Individual Influence. Yeah, so um, you know, I always wanted to be an accountant. And I became an accountant. I actually went to work for Arthur Anderson after college, and I hated it. Um, (laughs) So I went into ERP systems in the early 90s, or for a better term, computerized accounting systems. And in the early 90s, there weren't computers on every desktop like there were today. So I was in the right time at the right place. And as we started integrating uh, computer systems and accounting systems into small business and medium-sized businesses, one of the things we recognized was the challenges it created for humans and uh, the difficulty humans were having with the speed of change and um, how fast things were happening. Decisions were being made faster. Communication was faster. And and so we saw a lot of degradation in human contact and in the ability for humans to deal with that change. So IA, our individual advantages, was born out of that, and IA is our consulting practice. And our work has traditionally been around management consulting, but very specific to change management and how change affects the humans and that are in organizations. And we grew very rapidly at one point, we were over 600 employees, and my wife and I were blessed to be able to divest a huge portion of our company and go back to being more foundational and brick and mortar in what we were doing. And that happened in 2014. And I started to get the idea about writing a book because I journal. I journal every day. I have about oh, probably 11 or 1,200 composition books and I wow. write literally every day they're on my desk you can see I'm sh- I'm holding up just a regular <laughs> old composition book and I have stacks of them everywhere and Those I write back memories <laughs> yeah right <laughs> so I started giving them to my daughter Mary who co-wrote the I and team series and in, in our books uh together and we started putting uh, a book series together and Individual advantages, our company is, uh, the name has really deep meaning. It, it is the advantage of each individual 
and what we bring to the table. So every person matters. And our books are about, the first book is about understanding that, realizing that you have influence as an individual and how impactful and influential you are. And that uh, we are all a product of that influence. And in fact, on LinkedIn, if you look at, you know, a lot of people have pronouns and things like that. Mine is I or we, because Mm -hmm. I am we. I am at this moment, the accumulation of influence of every single thing that's happened to me that uh, up to this point. That's powerful. And something I think we take for granted daily, you know, it's, we think about what we, uh, or I should say, like, we think about the lack of influence we have on people more often than we think about the positive, constant influence we have on people. So it's definitely important. And I love that you have I, we pronouns. That's, that's really powerful. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You know, I've, I played a bunch of sports growing up. So we always had that. There's, there's no, uh, I and team, but you know, there's the ME and, and all that, the funny joke, but it's, 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 it's really interesting to think about. Yeah. Of course, they're, they're, the saying there is no I and team makes sense. However, there is an I and team, right? There is you, the individual, and how you bring your collective experience to contribute to the broader success of that team. Yeah. And, and then part of our work is actually redefining the actual word individual. So, you know, individual to most of us means, well, us. If you look up the traditional uh, dictionary definition of individual or individualism, it's a very selfish concept. It's a very selfish topic. However, we believe that when you are a team, you are still individual. You are collectively one individual working together towards something. I don't care if it's sports. I don't care if it's marketing or accounting. So you can define an individual by the groups that they are, accounting, sports teams, kindergarten class, your high school class. They are collectively individual, and we work in those units of individualism independently but together. And so we're trying to change that whole thought process that while we each have influence, when we work together collectively, we can multiply that influence and have even greater uh, impact on our area of influence every day. It's almost as if you're building a community right of influence where um, whoever you surround yourself with is a part of the influence that you're projecting out into the world and how important it is to surround yourself with um, people that support you, other team members that support you. I know that's something for us that the one thing that's really important is having the right people around you that are helping you to achieve your goals. Um, And I think that that's really important in in a business situation and an organizational setting as well. Yeah, it, it's 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 almost like a proactive approach to how you contribute back versus you know almost taking the I'm a member of the team approach and and like dissolving some of that ownership you have over how you show up inside of the team. It's more I think it's saying like hey like how how can I be more proactive about identifying how I as an individual contribute back? Exactly, and you know the ultimate form of being proactive about your influence is taking responsibility responsibility understanding that you your ultimate re- responsibility is your influence your words your actions uh your inactions so you know all of that is influence people say you know well if i don't make a decision i haven't made a decision but you have 
And that lack of decision or the choice to make a decision is influential. And you can change a person's life literally through a smile. You walk by somebody and smile at them, and it could be the difference between them going and doing something good or bad. And you would never know that. But the fact is, is that is truly how powerful we can be as individual humans in our interaction with our fellow humans. Yeah. Is there, an, is there uh, another side of this too, when you're thinking about from the outside of a team, how you can influence inside of it? Like we we're having this discussion the other day about designing training content and thinking about how we would either shift or change the content based on whether or not we are going to teach one person or teach this to content to a team. And the, the statement came out, and I think I saw it in some of your literature, that teams are made up of individuals. And so if it applies to the team as a whole, broadly, it should apply to the individual. So if we build it for the individual, then it kind of solves for both. And I, I guess my, my question is, do you, do you think of it both from a proactive like accountability and ownership perspective as a member of a team, and then also consider how can you influence teams from the outside? We do. And, you know, uh, we base all of our communication on the SMART concept. I, I know you are familiar with SMART goals. And SMART goals are great, but, you know, SMART goals are pretty static. Um, they kind of sit there. And unless you become intentional and turn those SMART goals into SMART tactics, they don't do anything. And we apply SMART to everything. So, uh, when we're building teams and goals for teams, we try to build smart tactics into the way that each team member is moving and reacting towards those goals that we build. So that individually, they're swimming in the right direction. And as a team, they're swimming in the right direction. And if they get headwinds or we get, you know, headwaters, they all move together based on that smart goal concept and that smart tactic concept because we're all moving from the same place. Where That makes perfect sense. Where do you see the value in the distinction between a goal and a tactic from a, a results perspective? Well, a goal is, you know, my goal is to sell, I don't know, $10,000 a month in widgets, right? Well, you have to have smart tactics to reach that goal. So, you know, what specifically are you going to do to sell those 10,000 widgets? Um, how are you going to measure your success? Are you going to measure it at the end of the month at 10,000? Are you going to measure it every week at 2,500? Is that even attainable? Is the market capable of providing you with selling those 10? And then is it realistic and is it a timely time? You know, for instance, is it Christmas time, you know? And then how do you approach the market? You can develop tactics that ask those same questions. Is this tactic, be specific about the tactic. How do I measure that tactic? How do I know if that tactic is successful? Is that tactic something we can do or do we have to go outside and do it? And you just repeat that challenge and foundationally and inherently it provides built-in responsibility, built-in team cohesiveness, because everybody understands where everything starts from. We're always asking the same question, is this smart? Hmm. 
Did that answer that for it you? It did. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we, we draw a pretty close parallel in uh, some of the things that we teach. And we goals are important because they, they, from our perspective, function like either a milestone or a destination. Like, where do you want to go? Right? Let's know where we want to go and let's be as accurate as possible, as specific and measurable as possible in those, those milestones or ultimate destinations you want to get to, i.e. goals. But where those goals can come up short in smaller intervals, they don't identify like the action you need to take, the tactic like you're you're describing. And we encourage people in inside of a week, for example, to focus more on what is the action that you're going to take, the activities you're going to engage in that would get you to those checkpoints or destinations, those goals, and helping people make that transformation and shifting into action and like you said smart or we we use the bar, the boston smart the smart, smart. <laughs> we take the r out cuz we we want to challenge people to think big uh and not not be rooted in you know realism can sometimes be an anchor uh not that you can't you should be unrealistic but don't use it as a as a limiting uh belief if that makes sense it does make sense Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. I like it. Brian, when we're talking about goals, so you're a part of a team, you've established your goals. How do you use your influence to best serve the other team members around you and those goals? I know that one of the portions of the book talks about how you can be your best self so that your influence radiates from you and it permeates throughout you know, this team. Can you talk a little bit about what kind of tactics or, or what people can do to help find their best self to best support the team and the goals that they're working towards? Yeah, I think first you have to understand yourself and what your limitations are um, and be honest about those things with yourself and then be honest with your peers or your teammates about those things. And, you know, the best teams are made up of different people who fill all the gaps. And if as a team you go through uh, an exercise to understand that before you move forward, um, you'll know what roadblocks you might face or what challenges you might face, and you'll be able to assign those tactics to the right people instead of always starting and stopping as challenges come up and trying to find out who has the best uh, capability of overcoming that challenge or or completing a tactic, know those things ahead of time. And that takes some self-discovery first, but it also takes some discovery on the part of the champion of that project or that team. And if we as leaders don't understand the people that we work with, we'll ultimately 
at some point in time or many points in time set them up to fail, which is why we see a breakdown of reaching goals. Even if we do set those milestones, which you know are basically smaller goals, if we don't properly assign or understand ourselves and our capabilities and those capabilities of the people that we're working with, we set them up to fail. So the first step is taking the time to understand yourself and your limitations and the people that you're working with, those their same limitations in as quick a way as you can within the context of what you're trying to do. Do you think that there has been a lack of honesty in that regard? For example, you know, it would almost be deemed as weak if somebody comes to the table and says, hey, this is a a quality or skill that I don't have and can't contribute. You know, normal, not normal people, but some people would be like, I'm not going to say that that's not something I can handle and I'm going to go try to handle it and fail. Do you think there's like a lack of honesty that's missing within some organizations that aren't willing to have those like tough conversations with their employees, again, to set them up for success? at the end of the day. Yeah, so I'm not sure if it's, I mean, I'm sure there's a a certain amount of dishonesty that goes on with it, but I think more so is that leaders don't ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. They make assumptions and they make those assumptions in a way that are fairly assumptive in the way that they hand out tasks to team members and people, humans, when a authority figure tells you to go do something if you don't know how to do it usually will go and try to get it done and be more happy to accept consequences if any if they fail in trying rather than saying i don't know ahead of time and being brought up to speed or being made to look proactively ignorant instead of reactively solving a problem a lot of people take that approach that you know what i'll do the project or I'll do the task first. And if I do it wrong, I'll ask forgiveness later because it's less painful to do it that way than to admit up front that they don't know or that they don't have, that they have a gap. Yeah. It seems like in this situation, there's a level of self-awareness that the individual needs to have. And then equally so a a level of self-awareness about the team that the leader needs to have. We were having a really interesting conversation a few weeks ago with a, a group of ladies that have uh, run a business called The No Club. And they were talking about how important it is to know what your, not only what your team skills are, like you're describing their strengths and weaknesses, but maybe consider what their development goals are too. So if you know what appropriate stretch opportunities you could give to a particular team member because they're going to grow into, in a direction that's mutually beneficial. Yeah. So when we put teams together for our clients, and it's funny, I just had this conversation with one of our clients today, and we're a proponent of assessments for one reason, and it is not to determine hiring or firing. It's to determine communication and a foundation of understanding about each team member. And we always use two. In our organization, we use two. We use DISC and Colby. And we use DISC and Colby for a very specific reason. Colby is foundational. It's like the DNA of who you are as an individual. And what I mean by that is, is it 
it, give us an assessment of your inherent tendencies to react to behavioral issues that we're challenged with. It doesn't necessarily say how you're acting today. It What it says is what your tendencies are. DISC, however, is environmentally, uh, is an environmental assessment. Your DISC can change based on your environment, and it tells us how you're going to react in this moment, how you have been currently adaptive to the environment that you're in. When we provide that information to our clients, it helps them to develop communication structure and communication tactics within teams so that they understand the nuances of the team that they're dealing with and how they can better build communication infrastructure to move that project within that that small group, whatever that group is, forward together. We have a uh, we do a similar assessment. Uh, within the one thing, but we also have this thing called honest expectations. Um, And it is like you create one when you start, you give it to everybody so they know what to expect and what's going to set you off. And what, you know, I think mine says like, I I actually don't know what mine says now that I'm thinking. You should probably look back at that. (laughs) But I definitely think it's, it's like, how do you win with me and how do you lose with me? And I've found that to be like a very pivotal project to put some effort into because not only am I thinking about how I'm reacting within the team, but what I what my tendencies are when something hits me differently. So I love the idea of taking an assessment so you can build out how to communicate better with within your team. Yeah, it's it's proven to be a huge part of our management process at IA and how we approach, first of all, how we approach change management, but also how we approach uh, development of the teams for our clients. And it's been amazingly helpful for us as advisors, but also for our clients as they carry it forward. And when we walk away and they apply what we teach them on how to understand assessments and how to actually use them in a very positive way. You know, not to, we've heard all the horror stories, giving an assessment and we're not hiring because somebody doesn't measure up here or there. To us, that is an improper way of using assessments. Assessments should be used to help us understand each other better, communicate with each other better, and to be able to create expectations that are more real and that are more fair. And that actually overcomes a lot of the, you know, the latest issues we're talking about, which is equity and integrity and all of the things that go with it. It brings that back to the table in in a way that we can understand and we're all on the same page. Yeah, it's a piece of information, right? That is a part of a bigger story. And I think acknowledging, you know, the bigger story, the bigger picture of the person uh, is important, but knowing that that information is useful, it's valuable. Do you feel, Brian, as though those assessments help to measure influence, essentially? Like it it is how you're reacting in the moment and and vice versa, but um, do you feel like they accurately measure influence? I think they accurately measure the potential of influence. So what I mean by that is, is if I know the type of person you are and I know what your tendencies are, and I know what your current uh, mindset is or your current behaviors are, and I know 
from a very high level, what might trigger you to be uncomfortable or what might uh, challenge you or what might what I might have to give you to be your best self because I understand what needs you might have as an individual. If I know those things, then I can communicate with you better so that I don't, let's say, give you surprises that might trigger negative emotions or give you the detail that you need so that you feel part of a conversation and so that you're more apt to participate in that conversation and give back what you probably have. Oftentimes, we have these people that sit in rooms, and because we don't know how to communicate with them, we don't know what it is that helps them to be their their best self. We don't engage with them. We don't allow them to engage. So we lose out on all that knowledge that might be sitting there. And they come into a room, they sit there, and they leave the room, and they take with them everything that they could have given us that would have been a positive influence. Absolutely. I think um, you mentioned mindset earlier uh, when we were talking through this. Do you believe when you bring in a new individual into a team that there is the ability to change their mindset? Or do you believe that it's as an individual, they're coming in and we should be accommodating their mindset? Yeah, that's a really great question. We just had an article published about gaslighting in the workplace. and. One of the dangers of trying to change somebody's mindset without prior knowledge of who they are or or what influences them is, as a leader, we can fall into a gaslighting posture and try to force them into something, and we lose out. So the path, the onboarding of a new team member requires some time for them to get to know us individually as a group and the people that they're going to work with individually and us to get to know them. And if you don't do that right, if you try to force either side of that before either side is ready or even one part of either side is ready, you're going to have negative influence, you're going to have repercussions, and there's going to be accountability somewhere. Well, and I feel like a shift happened during covid or maybe it was even before COVID and it, it, I'll attribute it to the millennials who really have started to take on the, it's not just an interview, you interviewing me for a job, it's me interviewing you to make sure this is where I want to work. And I think that's something, a mindset that hasn't been like that um, always. And it's nice to see that shift now of people understanding it's, it's are you going to be a good fit just as much as we want to be a good fit for you? Yeah, isn't it funny how that's a shift away from Maslow's theory about just taking care of our physical self and our well-being and that well-being being tied to, you know, food and shelter. It's it's becoming also part of my emotional well-being, my psychological well-being, this balance of this work-life balance that's out there. And I love that shift. We've been a huge proponent of Get to know us as much as we get to know you. Don't take a job from us because of some dollar amount. Go out and do your research. In our interviews, focus on their understanding of us and probe them to ask questions about us and how we might influence them, not just as an employee, but as a human, so that we know that there's a better balance, not just from a work structure, 
but from this behavioral and this human side of of what really drives business at at its core. Do you guys do anything to bring visibility into what we call like the whole person at work? So you, obviously you'll have, you'll have goals, and I'm excited to talk to you more about how you guys uh, move kind of out of the abstract of goals, but specifically around somebody's other side, the, the things that maybe don't get acknowledged typically in the workplace or historically have been acknowledged in the workplace. Do you do anything to, if someone gives you the permission to go there, um, influence some of their their personal development? Oh, yeah. So we have uh, a weekly gratitude group um, where we have team members that get on a Zoom call from all over the country and they just talk about what they're grateful for and it's about their personal lives. And they show me what goes on in that uh, sometimes when I don't attend it. And it's amazing. Uh, we have one-on-one sessions. We provide individual coaching to every single employee. That coaching is not work-related. It is very individual to them. We also provide external coaching. And then everybody knows this about us, at least everybody at IA knows this. We have what's called the green couch. It's really a term now because the green couch is no longer right there where (laughs) it used to be. But I used to have this green couch in my office. And the rule was, is you can come in my office and talk about anything. And by anything, I mean anything in your life. And you'll sit on that green couch and we can have a conversation. If you want to come in and cuss at me because it makes you feel better, then walk through the door and say, Brian, I need to, I need to just let it go. And we shut the door and I'll let them do that. And we have a reputation and a history for that type of environment that spans all of our holdings. You know, we have 43 companies in our portfolio and it is across every single one of them. I think you should probably trademark the green couch and <laughs> that should be your next book because I would definitely read that. Yeah, yeah. Lessons I, from the green couch. <laughs> I have the green couch still. It's funny. It's right below my feet in an office below us. And there was, the. Uh, if you have time for a quick story, we have this manager who's worked in our organization since 1999 and he still runs the same company today that he was hired into then. And for eight years, he would come in my office five days a week and sit on this couch and just talk to me. And if you go, the reason that couch isn't here, one of the reasons is, is that one side of it sits (laughs) down like this because he sat in the same place every day, five days a week for, for eight years. Wow. That's incredible. I think opening that door, you know, open door policy, I guess, but is it open door policy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and removing that boundary. I mean, I think of all the things my mom and my stepdad used to tell me when I was getting a job. It's like, keep your nose clean. Don't uh, make friends with your coworkers. Like, keep work and your per, uh, your personal and your personal and professional life separate. And that has gone away in a good way. Um, for the workforce today, because I mean, you spent we spend forty hours a week together virtually doing the podcast. I mean, you have to at some level remember that you've got to drop those boundaries and be able to have honest conversations, be able to hear about people's lives and drop the judgment and get them to really open up, or else you can't be a whole person. You can't be a good teammate if you're just you know living through a screen. Yeah, you're you're so right. And we do. We spend 
not quite a third, but you know, somewhere between 25 and 30% of our life with our work family. And really that's what they become, especially those of us who have people that we've been around for IA's 26 years old. We have people that have been with us the entire time. So, mm-hmm. um, and our organizations are very much like that. Uh, we have organizations that still have their first two, three, four, five employees. And uh, we're very proud of it, but we're also very close. And we inspire that. We try to influence that. And we will never stop doing that. Brian, does that make the termination of an employee even more challenging? Yeah, it does. I'm proud to say I've never had to terminate uh, an employee without cause. Um, so that would be really hard. And, and without cause, I mean something that they didn't, that they did that required it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never had to say, well, we have a work slowdown, so we're going to let you go or anything like that. There's always been a reason. But even the ones I, I just let somebody go. And they were caught stealing from one of our companies. And that'll do it. And I sat them down. But even that person was hard. She was a good person. Um, I didn't ask the reasons why she was doing what she did. I don't, I didn't feel like she needed to belittle herself or to uh, embarrass herself. I don't need that justification because it, it, it's not something that is required. But I did let them go, and it was still very hard to do it. And with everything that I have, I wish and I hope that they learned a lesson, and I hope they take the lesson of we let them go in a respectful way. We didn't make them uh, dehumanize themselves. We didn't share it with the whole company. Um, But they were able to leave with a little bit of respect with their head up and with an understanding that. Our one goal in that termination was that they learned a lesson as to why this happened and that they used it for something positive in their next journey in their life, whatever that is. And every termination is like that. That's good. At least you do your due diligence to provide them with some some knowledge and tools that they can continue to grow. We hope to. Um, you know, that's, again, my biggest responsibility is my influence. A termination is an influence, and how you handle a termination could have a lasting impact on that person. So you might as well do it with the utmost grace that you can, whatever that situation is, and try to leave that person and yourself with the most positive influence possible out of a negative situation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm certainly starting to think about all the situations where something has happened to me and how the influence of that person and the way that I felt. And I definitely moving forward, I'm going to treat people, I think a little, a little differently just because you, you don't, like I said, at the top of, of the episode, like you don't really sit there and think about the influence you have on people. You assume there's a lack and that's not the case at all. No, no, it's not. And it's actually pretty powerful when it's almost overwhelming sometimes I sit in my office and think about the things we do, I do, and the things we do. And uh, at times it can be overwhelming, the 
amount of influence we wield as just one person, especially when we work together with groups of people to influence change in organizations that are doing things that have very broad and far-reaching impact on their own. And we're just a small piece of it, but we still help move it in whatever direction it's going. I've always, I've had a, when I think about influence and the impact I have on on others, I've always had like a weird internal analogy about uh, somebody's life or their situation or the things they're dealing with are like a pond and like my influence is like throwing stones in their pond. So if I'm going to make ripples, like try to make positive ripples and for whatever reason, that's how I have internalized that that kind of inf- influence and impact. That's an awesome analogy. And it's spot on, by the way, what our influence looks like. If you were to look at it from, you know, 100 feet, that's probably one of the best analogies you could use is throw a, throw a pebble into water and watch what happens. Brian, what advice would you have for um, someone that's graduating college or, or coming out of high school and they're getting ready to join the workforce? What advice would you have for them in terms of how they use their influence? Yeah, so first influence of self is don't expect too much from yourself. You know, don't expect that you're going to find your dream position or the ideal position right away. You might, you might not, you're likely not, but don't expect it. Don't set that expectation. To take care of yourself, influence yourself and allow yourself to do things that will grow your understanding and influence you to be the best person that you can be. So put yourself in situations where you're going to learn. And if it's a job digging ditches, or if it's a job selling widgets, or if it's a job, you know, uh, talking on phones or working in, in digital, approach each one with the understanding that you're just gaining influence, you're being influenced, and you're learning. And take those positions uh, with that mindset and Each time that you move through these seasons in life, you'll feel much better about it and you'll take a much more positive uh, uh, takeaway from each of those experiences and you'll grow in a way that benefits you and benefits everybody that you influence along the way at the same time. Yeah, that's some amazing advice and great self-awareness for those people who are joining the workforce now. Or need to just check in on how you doing. (laughs) Where are you at? Yeah, I get to watch my children do this. My son just graduated from college in May. And it's been an interesting journey to watch. I have three children and to watch each of them approach life. And I'm fortunate because they're eight years apart. So the oldest, the middle to the youngest has provided me this really unique and interesting perspective when the oldest and the youngest are basically 16 years apart, I also get to see different generational issues and different life issues and different challenges and and their boys and girls. So I've gotten that perspective also. That's a 16 years is a big spread. <laughs> yep, it is. <laughs> um, Brian, you talk about something in the book that I want to make sure we touch on and it's... Um, Reaping the benefits of slowing down and existing in the moment. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so our best opportunity to have our most positive influence is in the present moment. And 
you can control what happens right now. If you let life go by too fast, if you go too fast, you're going to miss things. You're going to miss opportunities. You're going to miss advantages. We're also going to make mistakes. If you want to narrow that down into a more level of understanding on the day-to-day, when we go fast, we open ourselves up to missing things, not hearing things, not listening to learn, not following task lists, missing one, just one thing in a task list. I could go on and on about what going too fast does, multitasking. When we slow down, things get in focus. When things get in focus, we understand it better. When we understand it better, we react to it better. And when we react to it better, our influence is more positive. So our slowdown chapter guides you through the process of why slowing down is so important. And I give some pretty funny things that can happen to you when you don't slow down. Can you give us a taste? Sure. I used to have to uh, get ready for meetings and I would go very fast all the time. And one morning we had a meeting that was in Denver and I got dressed and I decided I was going to drive a different car that day. And we had a tandem uh, three car garage. So we had cars that were in front of each other. So I had to move one car out back that car, the other car out, then move the other car back in. So I did this and I was in a hurry and I was thinking about this meeting because it was a big meeting. And this was back in uh, the late 90s, early 2000s. Anyhow, got in the car, got on the road. I got about a third of the way and I was driving a convertible. thought, wow, it's a little breezy. And I looked down and I had managed to drive 13 miles without pants on. (laughs) I had shoes on. I had my suit jacket on. I had a tie, but I had no pants on. That work in today's uh, Zoom environment, but not back then. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Did you have to turn around and go back? I did. I (laughs) turned around, went back, got my pants. But I was so focused on that meeting. And the details of that meeting and leading our team through that meeting and everything else is just, you know, I call it comfortable focus. Getting ready in the morning to me is you don't pay attention to it. You put a jacket on or you put clothes on, you eat breakfast. I mean, you do things that become so habitual that you don't notice anything else. Well, that's what happened. That's what we call the point of automaticity. When your habit's so formed that it doesn't require any focus for you to do it anymore. It just happens subconsciously. Yeah, we call it comfortable focus. And and in Oregon, I used to drive two miles to work every day. It was just a really close commute. We lived in Southern Oregon. And after six months, I actually noticed a house on our block that I didn't even know it was there. And this house, by the way, is an amazing house. It was the only old house for a couple miles and it had this blue metal roof how i never noticed it but one day i got to the stop sign and my phone rang so i slowed down really fast went to pick up the phone and there's this house in front of me that i never noticed before so our comfortable focus or your word for it is very powerful and when we go too fast life becomes a blur it's like the ferris bueller quote Life moves fast, and if you don't, well, now I just butchered it, but (laughs) I'll Google it, and we'll talk about it at a later date. But there's a Ferris Bueller's quote that 
for those pop culture folks. And it's spot on. You're right. <laughs> you know, I learned to uh, <clears throat> to fly airplanes at a young age, and one of the things that you learn when you're, you're becoming a pilot, especially when you get into like advanced ratings, like instrument ratings, and that is you, you want to stay in what they call in front of the airplane. So you want to fly in front of the airplane. You always want to be many miles in front of where you are from a planning perspective so that you can anticipate things. And I kind of carried that into other areas of my life at a young age. And as I grew up, very, very focused on like, hey, where are we headed? You know, thinking into the future, but the sacrifice of that is not being completely present at times. So it's almost like you have to wear multiple hats in that. And I was exposed to uh, Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now at one point. And I don't know if you've read that book, but it's about being present. And uh, it was really impactful for me. And <clears throat> I guess the point I'm trying to make is, do you, you, obviously, you see the value in planning and being out in front, but then you need to be able to zoom in in the moment and be present to get the value of the experience and you know go to work with your pants on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, you have to be in the now to plan properly, right? Because if, mm. if you allow yourself to, to be stra- to be distracted during the planning process, then the plan you write will have gaps in it. So that even if you were to follow that plan, you might be following a flawed plan. So being being in the now or being in the present and being focused and slowing down should always be engaged because you never know when you that comfortable focus gets in the way when you might leave something out. The consequence of multitasking and distractions, as we know. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, multitasking inherently pulls you out of the now, right? You're you're thinking about something else and not your primary work. And and what what we've found and believe is that you know that it robs you of up to 28, 30% of your productivity when you multitask, but it, I guess it's pretty closely connected to not being present. Or you just get Chris calling you out on the phone being like, are you doing something else right now? I'm like, uh, sorry. <laughs> it's like a constant gravity, right? With the world we live in today, is just so many distractions and, and there's multi-billion dollar organizations whose sole purpose is to attract your attention as much as possible and to pull you away from what you're doing. So it's harder and harder, I think, to to stay focused on you know, what your most important work is or what's most important in that moment. Right. And technology has made multitasking so easy oh, and yeah. so dangerous all at the same time. I mean, in its extreme, think of texting and driving, you know, and things like that. And back in 99, uh, when I started my dissertation, uh, it was it was solely focused on this issue of technology getting in the way of uh, human interaction. So my dissertation's technology induced attention deficit disorder, and it is driven was driven by the human's tendency to move towards multitasking as we threw all this technology on the desktop and gave them the opportunity to be distracted and to multitask as an asset we, mm-hmm. we, we people looked at multitasking as an asset and we look at it in reverse mm-hmm. slow down one task at a time and in the end you'll be more productive yeah that's the same with us we just we call each other out all the time to stop multitasking because it truly is pulling you away from whatever important conversation is being had or uh, a meeting is being done there's an even greater or in addition to not being present, there's a cost 
you know, the switch cost of switching between your focus and the time it takes to reorient on, you know, what you're doing, it makes that exponentially more impactful. So not only are you not, not only are you dividing your attention in the moment and the, the cost of that, but also when you do switch back to a primary focus, it takes a minute just to get back into that, that place or that, that flow state. Yeah, you're, you're so right. And you can't be your best self when you're doing that. I mean, you're, you're just not. Um, you're your devalued self. So Brian, wrapping this all up, what, what is the one thing you'd like our listeners to take away from this episode? Well, the one thing I want everybody to take away is that you matter and that you have influence and that that influence is important. I don't care what you do. I don't care what stage of life you're in. You have that influence. We all started influencing before we were born. Our parents changed who they were and what they were doing when they found out that we were going to be coming. And it changed their lives forever. And so you matter. So knowing that, know yourself, be your best self, and understand that your influence matters. So be responsible for that influence and do your best to make it positive. That's powerful, Brian. Thank you. And if anyone who's listening wants to read Individual Influence, Find the I in Team, where can they go to buy the book? They can go to Amazon, which is probably the best place, or Barnes & Noble or any of the, the major um, uh, online bookstores. And I think we start looking for it at Barnes & Noble if you, if you buy physical books here in the very near future. Awesome. Well, thank you, Brian, so much. It's a pleasure chatting with you. Great to meet you, Brian. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. It's been great. I've really enjoyed it. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The One Thing Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more episodes or learning about the 411, perhaps you need some individual coaching, head to theonething.com. That's the one thing with a number one.com. Also, you can send us a voice note by heading to speakpipe.com slash the one thing. And that is also with the number one or just send us an email podcast at the one thing. And that's the number one.com. We'll see you soon.